Welcome to Open Capital's Africa Insights Podcast. Our goal is to share on-the-ground insights from the African markets in which we work and give you the latest view on industry trends, challenges, and solutions. For some context, Open Capital is a management consulting and financial advisory firm working across 25 countries in Africa with a team of over 130 staff. We help businesses, investors, development partners, and the public sector identify opportunities and deliver unique, impactful solutions. I'm your host, Corazon Safuandimi. Today, I'm speaking to OCA Principal and Energy Access Lead, Duda Slawik, who will share insights on results-based financing, or RBF, in the energy sector. Duda, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Corey. It's a pleasure to be on. Fantastic. So, Duda, for our listeners who aren't aware, what is results-based financing? So RBFs are simply a financing tool that are used to incentivize companies to reach specific results. By definition, any program or intervention that provides rewards to individuals or institutions after agreed upon results are achieved and verified is called an RBF. The real goal here is to make more effective use of resources by ensuring that funding is used appropriately for the right results. We've seen RBFs used across sectors to incentivize different actors and achieve development goals. In the energy space specifically, RBFs have been used to incentivize companies to reach unserved populations, boosting energy access and market development. Great. So what are the advantages of RBFs over traditional mechanisms? And what are the traditional mechanisms? Um, Traditional mechanisms are essentially any other form of financing. So RBFs are often used to disperse funds to companies uh, to incentivize them to test new products and enter commercially and serviceable areas um, to improve energy access. So if you compare that to you know traditional mechanisms, which could just be a company self-funding themselves or raising debt or equity um, to be able to expand their business line, I'd say there's three key advantages of this model. One is that they are very focused on increasing access. So they enable a company to enter hard to reach segments of the population by incentivizing them um, to go into remote or expensive areas that can't be served commercially without the RBF support. So they reduce the access gap um, for essential products and services. They also put the ownership of outcomes in the hands of the companies themselves. So the focus on results means that the financial risk is borne by the company, um, which only receives funding once they have achieved agreed milestones. And at the same time, the company has the flexibility to identify the best approach to reach those customers. And finally, they increase market development. They can be leveraged to encourage private sector players to enter a market and can be scaled back once a commercial market has taken place. Great. So how has results-based financing been used um, in the energy sector, specifically on the continent? Um, And what are some of the successes so far, if any? Yeah, definitely. We've seen numerous RBFs across the energy access sector on the African continent. Enda, for example, has run 17 different RBF facilities since 2012, um, totaling over 40 million pounds in funding to serve 5.8 million people. This has been both on the African continent um, and also in Latin America and Asia. And these RBFs have covered a wide range of modern energy access technologies um, to enhance access in these markets. They've been geared towards overcoming market failures 
constraining private sector delivery of distributed renewable energy systems, providing modern energy services to the poor. Here in Kenya, the World Bank and the Ministry of Energy launched the Kenya Off-Grid Solar Access Project, or COSAP, aimed at serving 1.2 million people in 14 underserved counties in northern Kenya over a period of five years. Interesting. So what are some of the challenges of RBFs that you've seen in the sector? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, despite all the success that we've seen with RBF so far, there's definitely numerous challenges as well. These mechanisms are extremely complex, and there's an inherent trade-off between being comprehensive and outcome-oriented or simple and efficient. Both the design and implementation of the mechanisms is complicated, um, and the market is really dynamic. So we've seen situations where a well-intentioned RBF design no longer makes sense when it finally gets to implementation. On the implementation side, we've seen high administration costs and lack of efficiency and long timelines as well, uh, where it takes forever for a company to be able to receive that financing and therefore the RBF isn't playing its role of actually incentivizing them um, to go into new markets. And we've also seen a lack of coordination across RBFs, which has resulted in numerous very localized and small RBFs that currently don't meet the massive funding gap in the energy access sector. Right. Is this why RBFs are sort of challenging to scale? Yeah, yes, exactly. So the concept of an RBF might seem really simple at first, but once you start designing them, you realize how complex they are. In the past, the best practice has been to design an RBF for a specific product and country, which has made scaling them a challenge with each new RBF requiring a completely new design process. Today, though, we are seeing more and more innovations around RBF. For example, SE for All is piloting a universal RBF facility specifically for mini-grids, and others such as CGFA and KFW are considering regional RBF programs. I think these programs are moving in the right direction to be able to achieve more scale um, and actually be able to address um, the massive access problem that we have. Right. So you recently launched a new report based on a new approach that targets SDG 7 and 13. Could you tell us a bit about that? Sure. The report you're talking about is the Climate Impact Payments Platform, or CLIP, which is a new approach that the Access to Energy Institute, A2EI, is trialing. Recognizing the urgent need and synergies between the energy access and climate goals, A2I is launching this global transaction platform for climate impact payments to radically reduce carbon emissions, focused on achieving both SDG 7 and 13 at the same time. Interesting. So how is the the climate impact payments different from RBFs? So I'd say CLIP is a complementary mechanism, which is, again, focused on achieving both SDG 7 and 13. There's three key things that make it a bit different from what we've seen traditionally with RBFs. First, it's a global platform. It centralizes funding from diverse players in both the energy and climate space, allowing for flexibility of technologies and countries funded. It's also digitized and automated. So every aspect of this platform will be driven by technology, creating a lean solution with low transaction costs geared at eliminating manual processes reliant on human intervention. And finally, it's very impact-driven. The platform connects SDG 7 and 13 by automatically collecting and synthesizing data to track pr- 
progress, analyze impacts created, and report insights to key stakeholders um, from what's actually happening on the ground, what the products are being sold through this platform. Great. So Duda, what else is the industry doing to boost energy access? So RBFs are definitely just one piece of the puzzle that is needed to boost energy access. And I'd say RBFs are often focused on addressing the access gap, which means ensuring that people have access to the energy products. On the other side of the coin, there's also the affordability gap, where consumers are unable to afford energy products. We've previously estimated that it would require up to $3.4 billion of additional public funding to close just the affordability gap. And COVID-19 has only exacerbated the situation. So another um, interesting tool that is currently being tested to try to address the affordability gap are demand-side subsidies, which are being used to ensure that no one is left behind on the path to universal access. Demand-side subsidies close the affordability gap by directly reducing the price paid by end users for products. You know, RBS and demand-side subsidies are just a few of the tools that will be needed in the sector for us to be able to actually reach SDG 7 by 2030. Right. And what role does OCA play in this space? So we've been deeply involved in the energy access sector since 2010, having advised over 200 engagements and helped facilitate over 400 million U.S. dollars of investments for the sector. I'd say we're not just consultants. We're deeply passionate about increasing access to affordable and clean energy in emerging markets. And we work with the most innovative public and private sector clients to achieve this goal. We support businesses to refine their strategies for growth and raise capital to finance their expansion. We work with investors to design innovative energy fund structures, conduct commercial diligence, and provide pre- and post-investment support to off-grid solar companies. And we lead off-grid solar research and strategies for several foundations and development partners, providing in-depth technical advice and guidance. Fantastic. So for anyone who wants to learn more about CLIP um, and what else is happening in the energy space on the continent, where can they go and what can they read? Yeah, good question. So we've recently published several different reports um, that I'd recommend for anyone who's trying to learn more. There's obviously the report on CLIP, which kind of talks through this connection between SDG 7 and 13, what some of the challenges that we've seen with current RBF structures are, and explains what the new platform is. We also, I mentioned demand-side subsidies earlier. We've also issued a report on demand-side subsidies, essentially talking about you know, how they can be used in the energy access sector to increase affordability of end users. Last year, we also published the Off-Grid Solar Market Trends Report, um, which is a great resource for anyone just wanting to learn more about the space and kind of covers, you know, where the industry is to date, what some of the trends are going forward and where we expect the sector to be in the future. Um, And you can find those and several other reports as well um, on the energy access space on our website, actually on our resources page. Great. Duda, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Corey. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to subscribe to hear more insights from our team. And if you'd like to find out more about Open Capital, you can visit www.opencapital.com.